0: Well, good morning. My name is Dan. I am one of the pastors here, and it is wonderful to be here with you to worship this morning. I just got back last night from a few days up in Yosemite. We had 28 of us from uh, the Young Adult Fellowship up there for a few days. I actually left them up there last night. They're probably on their way home almost about now. Uh, if they don't make it back, I had nothing to do with it. I left last night, okay They're, they're, they're young adults, but they 're adults, so I trust they 'll make it back. We, uh, we had an awesome time, and it was uh, just a, kind of a great feel like, kind of way to wrap up the summer as it feels like we are moving into fall. With fall, there's some new things going on, including a new sermon series here uh, at the end of the summer, beginning of fall. we 're going to spend four weeks looking at the lord 's prayer. Before we do that, though, I want to ask you to think about somebody in your life that you admire, somebody that that you look up to, somebody that you feel like has something to teach you. This could be a mentor, it could be a a discipler, it could be a, a teacher or a supervisor or a parent. If you could ask this person to teach you one thing, what would you ask them? Now I want you to think about Jesus for a minute. And I want you to imagine that that you were one of his disciples while he was here on earth. And you've spent uh, the last few years watching him, living life with him, eating meals with him, listening to his teaching, seeing seeing his miracles, just, just watching the way that he does life. If that was you and you could ask Jesus to teach you something, what would you ask him to teach you? For some of us, maybe, maybe we think we would ask Jesus to teach us how to be a leader. And, and that would be a, a great request. There's, uh, Jesus was an incredible leader, and there's been leadership models that have been built around the leadership style of Jesus. We would do well to learn from Jesus how to be a leader. Or, or maybe you would ask him how to care well for people. As we, as we look at the life of Jesus and the ministry of Jesus, we see that he's, he's full of compassion, that he, he has this ability to, to discern what it is that people really need and to meet them where we are. Maybe we would say, Jesus, teach us to care well for people. I think if, if I was to ask that question to Jesus, I might say, Jesus, would you teach me how to teach? Right? Jesus, is, he's an incredible teacher. The Sermon on the Mount, the Upper Room Discourse, the parables, he just shows himself over and over again to be an incredible teacher. I would love to learn how to teach from Jesus. But the disciples, as they've spent time with Jesus and they come to him looking for him to teach them something, what they ask Jesus is they say, Lord, teach us to pray. See, they have spent years watching Jesus, looking at the way he does life, and the thing that stands out to him is his prayer life. It's his, his connection to God, his, his relationship with God, his, his communication with God. And so the disciples, they, they see this in Jesus and they say, I want that. Je- Jesus, would you teach us to pray? In response to that question in Luke 11, Jesus gives the Lord's Prayer. And we're gonna spend four weeks looking at the Lord's Prayer. This famous prayer has been been prayed millions of times, uh, billions of times perhaps, by by millions of people for years and years, 2,000 years. We're gonna spend just four weeks, we could spend a lot longer, but we're gonna spend four weeks looking at these words. And as we do, we're gonna ask Jesus the same question that his disciples asked. Jesus, teach us to pray. My hope for us is that, that we could grow as a community in our life of prayer. The, the Lord's Prayer is actually found in two different places. It shows up in Luke 11, which is where Jesus' disciples ask him to teach us to pray. It also shows up in Matthew chapter 6. Matthew 6 is it's a little bit longer version. They're very similar, almost identical. Matthew's is a little bit longer, and it's kind of the traditional wording that's used for the Lord's Prayer. So that's where we're going to spend our time. Before we jump in though, I I want to offer a word of caution to us as we get started. A a word of caution to us as PBC. You see, I think there's a temptation that we face and and perhaps that that most believers face when it comes to thinking about prayer. And that's that that we come to Jesus and, and the first question we might ask is, Jesus, teach us how to pray. But the disciples ask, Jesus, teach us to pray. See, we could could spend our our entire lives devoted to to, to answering the question, how do we pray? To trying to learn how to pray. But if we don't first learn to pray, it's all for nothing, right? Here at PBC, if we put on a, a lecture on theology, a question of some kind, we might fill a room with 100 people on a Sunday night. If we ask you to to give up a weekend and go to Mission Springs for the fall retreat, we'll pack out the place. If we hold a prayer meeting, we'll get five people. And I I don't say that to to condemn us. I just say that to say, maybe we need to learn to pray. Maybe we as a community need to learn to pray. And and we're going to think about how to pray. Jesus does teach his disciples. He does teach us how to pray. But my challenge for us as a community over the next four weeks is that we would first learn to pray. So for the next month, for the next four weeks, just think about, think about devoting yourself to prayer. What would it look like to, do, to, to just pray for the next month, to give yourself to prayer for the next month? A great place to start is with the Lord's Prayer, praying the Lord's Prayer. Every day for the last year or so, I have prayed this prayer, and it's been uh, been transformative. This is a powerful prayer. These are powerful words. We're going to see that. These words have have the ability to shape the way that we we think about God, the way that we think about life, the way that we relate to God. These are incredibly powerful words, and so I want to challenge you every day for the next four weeks, pray the Lord's Prayer. And we're going to do that each week together here on Sunday. So if, if you could stand with me, let's go ahead and, and pray this prayer. Uh, the words will be on the screen, so you can follow along there. Uh, or if you know the words, you can close your eyes and let's, let's pray together. Let's pray the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen. be seated. All right, so we are, like I said, going to be looking at Matthew's version of this prayer. It comes in Matthew chapter six. It's in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount and Jesus starts talking about prayer a few verses before he actually gives us the Lord's prayer. So I wanna pick up there in Matthew six, verse five. Let's look at what we see there. Jesus says, and when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. So, as Jesus starts off here talking about prayer, before he, he sort of tells us what prayer is and how to pray, first he wants to tell us what prayer is not. And he does this by identifying this group of people that he calls the hypocrites. Now, ironically, uh, we know this group of people to be the religious leaders. These are the Pharisees and the Sadducees, the scribes, the teachers of the law. These are the people that should have known how to pray, uh, but in fact, they don't. Jesus calls them hypocrites because they are viewing prayer as a place to perform. The word hypocrite uh, comes from the word actor. It's somebody who pretends to be something that they're not. And Usually, when somebody is a hypocrite in their prayer life, they're pretending to be better than they are. Right? That's what we pretend to be. We pretend to be better than we are. Maybe we, we pretend to be better than we are uh, for the sake of those around us because we want them to think better of us. But more often, I think, and, and the bigger danger is that we actually try to pretend to be better than we are to God. That we we use prayer as a place to try to present ourselves to God better than we actually are. We, we downplay our sin. We we downplay our pride. We, we downplay our selfishness in prayer because, because we, we want to come across to God better than we are. Or or we we have confess our sins. Right? Maybe you've done this before. You 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 have something, uh, you you got angry with your spouse, and, and so you confess your anger to God, but, but you don't confess that you really enjoyed getting angry, right? Or, or you confess that, that uh, you, you told a small lie to your boss at work, but you don't confess that if you were in the same situation, you would do it again. Right? We, we confess in part, but we don't confess in full. We tell God what's going on, but, but we don't give him the full picture. We don't present ourselves to God truly as we are. We're, we, we try to be better than we are or present ourselves as better than we are in prayer sometimes. This is hypocrisy. It's, it's performance. But prayer is not a, a performance. To, to, to think of prayer that way is to completely miss the heart of prayer. But there's another way that we can go wrong in prayer also, and Jesus wants to, to draw our attention to that as well. So let's look at the next two verses, verses 7 and 8. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they, they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. So, here, uh, instead of talking about the, the hypocrites, the religious leaders, Jesus identifies this group called the Gentiles. These are the, the pagans, the the people who aren't following God in that day. And the Gentiles didn't so much view place as a, view prayer as a place to perform. It's not that they were hypocrites. Instead, they, they viewed prayer almost as like a, like a magic trick, right? Like if I could just say the right things, if I had the right words to say, and I, I said enough of them, then poof, God's going to do what I want. I'm going to get what I want from God. And Jesus says, no, 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 that's, that's not what prayer is. Prayer is not about... Getting, getting the exact words right and saying it in exactly the right way and saying it enough times. That's not what prayer is. Right? Have you ever heard somebody, when, when they go to pray, all of a sudden they like, slip into King James English? You know, Oh, holy and majestic God, that, thou art the creator of thy universe, and, and uh, we would just want to, to thank you for, for this bountiful meal of Chick-fil-A, thou, thou highest worthiness. Right? You're like, where did that come from? Right? Like, you're trying, trying, to, trying to, to tap into this, this, maybe if I use this kind of language with God, I'll get from him what I want. That's not what prayer is. Prayer is not about getting God to do what we want by saying the right words. That, again, completely misses the heart of prayer. Where Jesus starts in the Lord's Prayer, and what we're going to look at this morning, is that if we're going to understand prayer, if we are going to, to, to develop the heart of prayer that we see in Jesus— we need to first start by understanding who God is and who we are in relation to him. That's where Jesus starts. And so that's, what we're gonna, that's where we're going to start as we look at this prayer together. So the prayer begins in verse 9. Uh, Jesus says, don't pray like that. Instead, I want you to pray like this. And then the first phrase, the way that Jesus starts the prayer, is by talking to God, addressing God. He says, our Father in heaven. Our Father in heaven. In heaven. There's so much here. These four short words, our Father in heaven. So much here. Let's let's think about those first two words for just a minute. Our Father. Jesus starts by addressing God as Father. Note that he's he's talking to God, he's he's addressing God. This is is prayer at its most fundamental. Prayer is talking to God, It's it's not talking to ourselves right? It's not just kind of throwing up some words into the, to the universe. It's not trying to trying to empty our minds. Uh, the pr- prayer, Christian prayer is very different than the kind of secular new age conception of prayer in our culture. Prayer is, is talking to God, right? That's what Jesus is doing here. And he begins and he says, our father, our father. Now this would have been Fairly uh, jarring to hear Jesus say this. It was, a, it was a little bit unconventional to address God in this way. The, the other philosophers and religious leaders of the day outside of Judaism, they certainly didn't think of God as a father. God was uh, maybe, maybe a far off cosmic being. Uh, maybe God was uh, kind of a, a petty deity that, that needed to be appeased, but God was not a father. In the Old Testament, we see uh, God called the the Father of Israel. This is certainly an idea that's present in the Old Testament, but to address God as Father in, in personal prayer was something that, as far as we can tell, the Jews of Jesus' day were not doing. And so Jesus begins, and he says, our Father. The word that he says in Greek is pater, but most likely Jesus is speaking Aramaic, and he would have used the word Abba. Abba. This is a it's a relational word. It's, a, it's an intimate word, an informal word. Maybe the best that we could do in English is something like daddy. It's right? something that, that a little child says to their father. It's personal, it's intimate, it's relational. This is the kind of relationship that Jesus had with his father. As we look at the prayer life of Jesus, this is the way that Jesus refers to God in this personal, intimate, relational kind of way. And when Jesus says, our father, pray like this, our father, he's inviting us into that relationship. And he's saying that this also is the kind of relationship that God has with us, that of of a father and their child. It's intimate, it's personal, it's deep. This is uh, fundamental to our relationship with God. This is fundamental to our prayer life as well. We call God father. Earlier this spring, uh, a few people from YAF put together a 5K, 10K run. Uh, And so I I thought it would be be fun to to do this with them. And I I also thought it would be fun to take Peyton, my four-year-old son, and and to have him bike this with me, to bike the 10K. And so we started training, Uh, we started training for this. And you know, we started at, at one or two miles and we worked up to five miles before the day of the race. And then now 10K is six miles, 6.2 miles. So we go out and and the training, I would say, the training was full of mixed results, okay? It was full of a lot of, come on, buddy, you can do it just a little bit further. We're almost there. Don't worry. You've got this, right? I learned something very important about Peyton on that day. He inherited my competitive gene, (laughs) because at the beginning of the race, we start off, he's on a bike, we're all running, and uh, the whistle blows to start, and he just takes off. I mean, he is gone. I'm sprinting after him. Slows, I'm like, you got to slow down, because I can't keep up with you like this for six miles. So we kind of find our pace, and, and, and a few people pass us, um, and, and every time somebody passes us, he like, shh, like takes off again, right, to get back into first. There was uh, one person, John Stallings, who was kind of with us the whole way. Basically, John, John would get ahead a little bit, and as soon as Peyton saw him pass, he, he'd take off again and shoot, and I'm sprinting after him, slow down, slow down. We go, and we're about a mile from the end, and we put a little bit of space between ourselves and John, and there's a water station that uh, people had set up a, a mile out. So I, I say to Peyton, you know, do you wanna, you wanna stop for some water? He says, yeah, sure. So we slow down, we stop for some water, I grab him a bottle and John runs past. Peyton looks at him, takes off, right? No no time for water. I'm sprinting after him again. We we get in front of John and once I can see the finish line, I I tell him, okay buddy, you you can just go for it. And he takes off and he finishes first place in this race. On a bike, but in first place, okay? Uh, Here's a picture of us that day, uh, right after the race. There he is. Uh, Number one, Um, you know, for some parents, you hear them say, maybe this is your experience, that, that when, when your child is born, you, you look at this child and you're just sort of filled with this, this sense of awe at who God is and you have this you know, sort of hugely impactful moment about you and your relationship with God and him as your father. That, that didn't really happen to me. Uh, it was, those moments were awesome, but it wasn't this kind of profound experience in that way. But it's these kind of moments where, where I, I understand something about what it means for God to be my father. Right? As Peyton finished the race that day, the, the, the joy that I felt for him, the, the pride that I felt for him, the, the excitement that I could see in his face and the way that was reflected in myself, I was, I was just so full of joy for him, right, <laughs> at, at, at being the first one to cross this finish line on his bike. And it's not because he, he, he accomplished this great thing. You know, it was a good goal, he set, and, and he accomplished it. But the reason I felt that way is because he was my son. And he could have not finished in first, and I would have felt the same way, right? Because he's my son. And I love him. And I care about him. And I'm proud of him. When I see him it, it, happy, it makes me happy. This is what it means for God to be our father. When God sees you, he's happy. He's proud of you. He, it's because, he, because you're his child, because he loves you, because he wants this, this intimate kind of relationship with you. He's your daddy. That's, that's the way that Jesus wants us to approach God in prayer, with this kind of, of understanding of God as our father. A God who who loves us, who's proud of us, who looks at us and smiles because he cares about us, because he cares for us. Now, I know that that for some of us, uh, when we think of God as our father, that that brings up a whole lot of stuff, right? Because our father was maybe absent or abusive or uh, certainly imperfect in some way. All of our fathers are. And when we think of God as Father, we're not just supposed to take everything that we see in our earthly father and put that onto God, even though that's kind of where we start. That's how our conception of God is first formed by we take kind of our relationship with our father, our authority figures, and we put that on God. But God doesn't just mirror that because God is the perfection of our earthly fathers. He loves us perfectly in every way, as a father is supposed to, but as none other than him is actually able to do. So Jesus wants to start as he says, when you're gonna pray, I want you to approach God as your father. And as you do, I want him to know that he cares for you. He cares for you because you are his child. That, that, that's all. It doesn't matter what you do. It doesn't matter what you accomplish for him. It's just because you are his child and he takes joy in you. He cares about your health. He cares about your family, about your kids, your parents. He cares about your job. He cares about your career. He cares about your finances. He cares about your your worries and your stresses, your joys and your sorrows, all of it. God cares about it. He cares about you because he's your father. We need to internalize this. If we are going to become people who pray, we need to internalize this kind of relationship. God as our Father who cares for us. But Jesus doesn't stop there. There's more that he wants to say about God. He says, our Father in heaven. Our Father in heaven. Now, when we hear in heaven, we probably think transcendence, right? God is, uh, he's not limited to Earth, he's above, he's beyond, he's great. And that's exactly what this is supposed to bring to mind for us. A a more literal translation would be our 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 Father in the heavens, or the one who is in the heavens, right? Like like earth can't contain him. Solomon even tells us that, that the heavens can't contain him. God is he's so big, he's so powerful, he's so beyond, he is the one who is in the heavens. And so Not only is he our father, but he's also our creator. He's also the all-powerful one, right? He's also the transcendent one. He's the one who's in the heavens. And so as our father, he cares about us. He cares about our needs. And as the one who is in heaven, he is powerful enough to provide for our needs. He cares about our needs and he's powerful enough to provide for them. But there's something else that's contained in that phrase, in heaven." Because in the first century, the heavens, were, were not just, it wasn't just space, it wasn't the area beyond our atmosphere, it was that, but the heavens was everything from the ground up, right? The air that we breathe, the, 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 the space that our head occupies, everything around us is the heavens. And so for God to be God who is in the heavens, he is both the God who is transcendent and all-powerful, but he is also the God who is with us here right now who is in the air we breathe, always. Everywhere we go, God is there because he is the one in the heavens. He, he cares about us. He's powerful enough to provide for our needs. And he also knows what we need because he's here with us. He knows everything about us. He's present with us. This is what it means for God to be our father in heaven. You see, what Jesus is trying to, to get at here, as he starts the prayer, is that God, because of all these things, is trustworthy. So that when we pray, we pray to the God who is trustworthy. We pray to the God who is trustworthy. And there's like this three-legged stool that kind of comes together to form this. There's, there's God who, who cares about us because he's our father. He cares about what we need. He's in heaven, so he's able to provide for our needs because he's the all-powerful one, but he's also here with us and he knows exactly what we need. And if God knows what we need and he's powerful enough to provide for us and he cares about us, then we should have full confidence that he will in fact provide what we need. And so this idea of God frees us up to ask God for things, to, to bring our requests to God trusting that he is able, trusting that he wants to provide for us, that he wants to give us everything that we need and that he is able to do that. It frees us up to bring our requests to God. And this is what we find in the rest of the Lord's Prayer. It's a series of six petitions, six requests that Jesus says, ask God for these things. Bring these requests to God. They don't all sound like requests in English, but we'll see they are. These are, these are different, six different things that we are supposed to ask God for, and that's what we're going to spend the bulk of our time over the next four weeks looking at. I want to just look at the first one today, the first request that, uh, that Jesus teaches us to ask God, and it comes in the last part of verse 9, where Jesus says, uh, Hallowed be your name. Hallowed be your name. Now, again, in English, this doesn't really sound like a, a request. It doesn't sound like a petition, uh, but it is. This is actually a request that, that God would make his name holy. That's what it means to be hallowed, to be made holy. God, would you make your name holy? Would you make your name famous? Would you win glory for yourself in this earth? That's what we're, we're asking God when, when we say, hallowed would be your name? And so we're recognizing as we do that, that not only is God worthy of our trust, but God is also worthy of our praise. He's worthy of our worship. This request is all about worship. And when we come to God with our requests, we better start with this one first. We we better first start here. God, would you make your name holy? Would you make your name famous? Would you win glory for yourself in our lives and in this world? This is where Jesus starts, and it's where he wants us to start as well, with a request that has to do with worship. J.I. Packer has said this about uh, this phrase, Hallowed Be Your Name. He says that this is the biggest and most basic request of the whole prayer. Understand it, he says, and make it your own, and you have unlocked the secret to both prayer and life. This, This is where it starts for us. God, would you make your name holy? Would you make your name famous? Because you are worthy of our praise. There's two ways that we can actually participate in God bringing about this request and God answering this request. One is to declare his greatness to the world. It's to tell people about Jesus and his love. This is evangelism. This is missions. This is sharing our faith. by by declaring the greatness of God to people who do not yet worship him. John Piper has said that that, uh, missions exist because worship does not. There would be no need for missions or evangelism if the world was, as it's meant to be, full of people who are worshiping God. But the world is not full of people who are worshiping God. The world is full of some people who are worshiping God and others who are worshiping themselves or others who are worshiping their family, or worshiping their their job, or worshiping their status. And Jesus is saying, we have an opportunity to declare the greatness of God so that people who are worshiping something else, some kind of false God, might come to worship the one true God. That's one way that we can be a part of the answer to this request. The other way, the other opportunity that we have to be a part of the answer to this request, God, would you make your name holy, is by entering into worship ourselves, declaring the greatness of God. God, you are worthy of our worship. You are worthy of our praise. You are magnificent. You are all-powerful. You are the God who's here with us, who knows us. You are the God who created all that we see who created that majestic Yosemite Valley, who created the oceans, who created the mountains, who who sustains us and gives us each breath that we breathe, the God who sent his son Jesus to die for us on that cross, to forgive our sins, who invites us into a life-giving relationship with him. God, you are great. You are great. So we're going we're to take some time this morning to do that. You know, that's why we gather here is for worship. That's the reason we come here on Sundays to worship. If you, if you show up here to hear a sermon, you're coming for the wrong reason. If you show up here to, to see some friends, you're coming for the wrong reason. The reason that we come here is to worship. It's to declare God's greatness, to pour out our praise to Him. And so the specific way that I want us to do this this morning is we, we've put up a, a couple of prayer walls around campus. There's one here on the left of the worship center, this brick wall over here. There's one out on the, the patio as well. And, and we, we want to fill this wall, these walls, with our prayers to God throughout this series. And this morning, we want to start by, by declaring our praise to God, declaring His worth on this wall. And so what I want to invite you to do after I'm done praying in a moment is uh, when you're ready, come forward. There's some some pens up here and, and by the one in the back, if you're online, you can do this in the chat. And just complete the sentence, God, you are. And then fill in the blank with your word of praise. God, you are holy. God, you are majestic. God, you are great. Whatever's on your heart, just pour out your praise to God on this wall. This is is an act of praise. This is actually being a part of the answer to the prayer. God, would you make your name holy? Hallowed be your name. So I'm gonna pray and then invite you when you're ready. The music's gonna be going. The band will come up in a few minutes and lead us in another song. But, But in the few moments after I'm done praying, just come forward and grab a pen and write your praise to God on the wall. God, you are so good. God, we thank you that we have the opportunity to be here and worship you. We thank you that you are our father in the heavens, that you view us as your children, that you smile when you see us, that you are proud of us. God, we wanna know you more. We want to go deeper with you because you are the God who is worthy. You are worthy of all of our praise. You are worthy uh, of all of our, our sacrifice. You are worthy of our, everything that we have to give you, Lord. And so this morning, we just offer ourselves to you and we offer our praise to you. Thank you that you're here with us, God. We give ourselves and our praise to you.